Well, good morning. Oh, that was, no, come on. It is Easter. We are better than that. Good morning. Yeah, it's Easter, guys. He is risen. Oh, come on. That was week two. He is risen. If you're online, type it out. Shout it out, man. This is, this is Super Bowl Sunday for us, right? This is, man, everything builds up to this moment. Without this moment, nothing else really matters. He is risen, he is alive, he is here, and whether you are here in person or watching us online, I am so glad that you chose to spend your Easter morning here with us at Celebration Center. Now, for some of you on a Sunday morning, this is just, this is kind of like routine, right? You come to church on Sunday, you, you, have a, you worship with everyone, and this is, this is what you do on Sunday mornings. For some of you, maybe this is the first time in a long time that, that you've been here, and, uh, and you, you felt like it's Easter, I've got to get there, and I'm so glad that you came here today. But maybe for some of you, from your driveway to your car, there are heel marks where your family dragged you to the car. And then from your car to the front door, we'll see grooves in the pavement because they were dragging you through the front doors. Or maybe you're online right now going, I can't believe my family's making me sit here. Regardless, I'm glad you're here. I'm so glad to have each and every one of you watching, listening, just being a part of what we get to celebrate this morning. Um, Because I strongly believe in the love of Jesus. And my hope is that everybody here, no matter what avenue you are here with us, is that you experience the love of Jesus and you feel that today because I think it's the greatest thing in the world. Now, we've been talking for the past six weeks now about ashes and how life sometimes can feel like ashes. Now, ashes are the powdery residue left after the burning of a substance, the remains of something destroyed. Emphasis on destroyed, right? There is nothing left. Sometimes our life can feel like a pile of ashes. Life hits you, COVID hits you. I know people have been devastated this past year or so, but know that even though life may feel like a pile of ashes, this whole point we've been making is that you are never broken beyond repair. And today, we really get to talk about the why. And, and leading up to this, I've talked about it before, how much I love Easter, because this is it, right? This is the moment. But we're going to explore the why today. Why is life never over? Why, why is life never beyond repair? Why do we have hope? Why can we have hope when we feel this way, when we feel that we've lost everything? Now, like I said, whether you're a new believer or maybe you, you just know about Easter and what it means to, to people, Christ followers, we call the Super Bowl Sunday, right? This is, this is what it all comes down to. We have the benefit of knowing 2,000 years ago how this story ended, a benefit that the disciples did not have at that point or a, a benefit that, that they were overlooking as Jesus was talking to them about it. But we know what happened. We know that after he was on that cross, there was more than just the disappointment that they felt at the time. See, the disciples, what they experienced 2,000 years ago, they experienced when the earth was shaking a very deep, painful disappointment. A very deep, painful disappointment. And with this disappointment came an incredible loss of hope. And, and I can't even begin to de- describe how much of a loss of hope this was. So, so we've all faced disappointment before, right? I think everyone here can say, I've been disappointed in something. I'm a parent. You know, my mom told me at one point I shared last week, she was disappointed in me when I lied to her. You know, so we, we've all faced disappointment, whether we were disappointed in something or we felt like a disappointment. But at this point, think, think of like maybe your, your favorite team on the cusp of victory. I don't know if you guys watch March Madness, but I, I do a bracket every year. It's the only time I watch college sports, but I get into it. Last night, UCLA almost pulled off one of the biggest upsets in the tournament. So if you don't follow real quick, you know, there's 16 ranks, one through 16, four different divisions. UCLA was number 11, and they made it to the final four. They're going up against number one ranked Gonzaga. And 
it was going back and forth, and it was one crazy game. And in my bracket, I picked Gonzaga to win it all, but I found myself rooting for UCLA at this point just because I was like, this is insane. These guys are number 11, and they could, they could win this. All that to say, it went to overtime. Again, unprecedented, right? No, and 11's not going to take a number one to overtime. And then they have the lead, and then they lose the lead, and then they tie the game with three seconds left. And it's just like, this is going to go double overtime. UC, uh, not UCLA, Gonzaga, almost a half-court three at the buzzer, wins the game. I mean, it was, my bracket's still alive because of that, right? But, but at, the same, at the same point, I can only, I mean, you see the look on UCLA's faces when that shot went in. It was just the disbelief. Their coach even was just, I think he muttered, did that go in? Did that? I mean, it was obviously in, but just the, the shock of what had just happened, they expected to win, and they played like they deserved to win. But that was a crazy amount of disappointment. Maybe you've, you've been a part of something along those lines. Maybe you've been expecting a gift, like Christmas is coming, or your birthday is coming, or holiday, and you know something's coming. And you've, you've been, you've not even, you haven't even been hinting at it. You've just been saying, I want this, I want this, this is it. It's, it's on the fridge, it's in your car. It's a, this is what you want for your gift, and you know it's coming. And then that holiday comes, or the birthday comes, and you don't get it. And it's like, oh, it's just disappointment. Or maybe there's a promotion at a job you're, you're working at and you know promotion's yours. You can, you can feel it, you can taste it. The promotion is there and it doesn't come or somebody else gets it. The day rolls by, you didn't get what you want. How do you feel in that moment? I mean, I think we've all experienced disappointment, but all that to say, I don't think that disappointment compares to the disappointment the disciples just went through. You see, there were many who believed in this moment that the Messiah was going to come and he was going to overthrow the Roman rule. Like they've been living in oppression. They knew the Messiah was coming. When Jesus came, man, what we envision is like Mel Gibson with, you know, they've got his blue face here, white face here, with his sword high, you know, brave heart, freedom! This is what they wanted. But that didn't happen. In that moment where it turned into the soldiers coming and they drew their swords and one of the disciples drew his swords and they got into a fight, what does Jesus do? He lets himself get arrested. He says, put your weapons away. He even has the audacity <laughs> to heal the enemy soldier and show that that's not what it was about. It's about something bigger. He let himself get arrested. And if this wasn't bad enough, because there could still even be hope at this point. The disciples could still even be thinking, all right, he's been arrested. He's going to bust those jail cells open. Like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to tear it down from the inside. But then they get to see him carrying his cross. And they ultimately see him put to death, a criminal's death, crucified and humiliated. This was more than disappointment. This was a loss of hope. This was the end of everything they thought was going to happen. It's, it's almost impossible to try and comprehend that kind of disappointment. They had declared him God. They knew who he was, and now he was dead, and they didn't know what to do. This is not how they saw it going down. The truth is, this was just horrible. It was hopeless. We have the benefit, though, of knowing this is not where the story ended. Now they had, like, like Lindsay talked about, they had a few days of waiting. It was what's, what's going to happen? And a lot happened in those few days, but we don't have to wait. We know what happens here. We're going to pick up in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 6. Now this is after Jesus had been crucified. He'd been taken off the cross. He'd been put in the tomb. This is now the third day. So here we go. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, one of the women took the spices they had prepared and went into the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. 
In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. He's not here. He has risen. What do you think the women are thinking in this moment? I mean, like shock, bewilderment. I mean, you, you have those moments where your mind gets blown. People go, this is, this is one of those moments for these girls, or the, the women, right? They, th- this is so shocking. But I love what they do. The angel had to tell them, Jesus said he must be crucified on the third day and be raised again. And from there, these women did quite literally what we just sang about 10 minutes ago. They ran out of that grave. They ran, and it was not just a, well, I guess we don't need the spices then. He's gone, I guess. Wow. No, they, they ran out. They had to go tell people what had just happened. They were so excited. Now, like I said, to, to summarize the story, most of us know how this, this plays out. Jesus goes, and he starts appearing to different disciples. He starts appearing to different crowds of people. He starts showing them that he has conquered death. And then before he ascends into heaven, he gives this massive charge to the world. He says, now go tell everybody what you've seen. Go tell them the good news. And then he ascends into heaven. But today, I want to talk about that empty tomb. I think that empty tomb is worth noting. When you think of emptiness, you don't ever think of something that fills you up, right? You you pick up a cup and it's empty. You don't think, this cup is going to fill me. It's an empty cup. you, You look at something, empty literally means nothing. It's gone. But this empty tomb is the most filling thing ever. This empty tomb fills your life in a way that nothing ever could because it shows that Jesus was not in there anymore. It showed that everything he said was coming to fruition. This is worth getting excited about, and it's worth definitely telling other people about. The empty tomb will, it is and will always be a reminder that the body of Christ is gone. Nothing else can take its place. It is not in there. He is not dead. He is alive. This truth is so important, his resurrection is so important that the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthian church in Corinthians 15, he says, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Kind of puts it blunt, doesn't it? (laughs) If, If the resurrection hasn't happened, your faith is useless, it's dumb. But because it happened, it means everything. Because it happened, there's so much more to this life than we ever could think to do on our own because Jesus kept his promise and showed he was who he said he was. If the tomb isn't empty, if there still is a body in that tomb, everything today is pointless. It it means that Jesus taught some good lessons, but then it ultimately means that he was a liar as well. But the fact that the tomb is gone, the fact that he rose from the dead, that he ran out of that grave means that we get to run out of that grave, means that we are not a pile of ashes. We are not just dead and nothing because he offers us so much more. And when we see that the tomb is empty, just like those women who found the empty tomb, when we see that, we can see that our hearts get set ablaze. Later on in Luke 22, we pick up a story with with two disciples and and they're walking. I I love this story. There's so much in this, this passage about these guys and their encounter with Jesus. It says this in Luke 24, verse 13. That same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and as they were talking and deliberated, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? Now, this story is crazy, because where does it say the disciples are going? These two men, they are leaving Jerusalem. 
it, it, it shows that they were there. They knew who Jesus was because they, they go on to say, have you not heard? Like there, there was the Messiah, there was Jesus, and now he, he's been killed. But where are they going? The other direction. You see, they were, they, were so, they were so full of the disappointment and loss of hope that they decided, we're out of here. <laughs> we, we've got to go the other direction. But I love that as they're walking away, who catches up to them? Who meets them? Jesus meets them. Jesus is telling them, it doesn't matter that you're walking the other way. Guess what? I'm going to go here with you. I'm going to get you, and I'm going to tell you something to turn you around. And I love it. And picking up in verse 29, he says this. So he went in to stay with them. While he was reclining at the table with them, he took bread, spoke a blessing, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized Jesus, and he disappeared from their sight. Can you believe the audacity of Jesus just up and vanishing like that? I mean, you, you think the, the women going into a tomb and seeing the body was gone. Imagine people seeing the body and having it gone. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's mind-blowing, right? But, but I love that what happens is when they see this, they don't just say, okay, we saw a ghost. We're, now things are really creepy. Well, we're out of here. No, they had an encounter with Jesus, the living God, and it set their hearts ablaze. And they got excited. It says, they asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us as he spoke with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. They didn't wait. They, they, they had an encounter with Jesus and they said, we've got to go tell people. We've got, their hearts were set ablaze. An encounter with Jesus like this will set your heart ablaze. I truly believe that. No matter where you are in your life, when you have that moment where you are sitting there and you open yourself up and God, Jesus talks to you, man, it sets a fire in your soul. There's a passion that, that cannot be contained. And you, they went and they shared. They had to go. And we can feel that too. They were on the road out. But this encounter put them back on the road in. The absolute joy and excitement that these guys must have felt knowing that their Savior was alive is hard to imagine. But here's the thing. When they got it, when that was revealed to them, they got moving. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a maybe later. It was a let's do something. We've got to go. They were that excited, that on fire for this passion that Jesus had just revealed to them that he was alive. What was once fear and uncertainty turned in, because Jesus was killed, it turned into an excitement. It turned into a joy and it turned into blazing hearts when they knew that Jesus was alive. See, just like the two women who encountered the empty tomb, they went to share the news. And this news it's so good that this news sends grown adults running. This news turns away fear. It defeats uncertainty. This news defeats death. It allows people to live your faith loud. It allows you to go and proclaim who Jesus is to you because of what he did. The news that he lives. The news that he kept his promise and he came back. And like I said, without this promise, if all the other promises would have been fulfilled except this one, it really would have made those other ones not really matter because ultimately it would have made Jesus not honest because he said he was going to do it. But the fact that he did this, he fulfilled this promise, it shows that he keeps all the promises. Every single one he makes, he keeps. Now, I love this. They return from Emmaus and they also learn that Jesus had appeared to Simon. And Jesus starts talking with them as they're all talking together. He appears in their midst, just like he vanished here. He appears here and then he asks for something to eat. And he's sitting with them, and it says this in uh, Luke 24, starting in verse 44. There are words I have spoken to you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. All right, now, I've been a part of many Bible studies in my life. 
many, many Bible studies. Being a pastor's kid, that's just been kind of what, what part of my life, you know, elementary school, college, and here, it's, and then being a pastor. I, I like to have Bible studies, but can you imagine having a Bible study with Jesus? That's happening right here. Like He's like, hey guys, this is what the scriptures say. And it's Jesus, the one who inspired the word, the one who breathed this into existence, is now reading it to them and telling them what it means. And, a lot, and they're, they're starting to understand. They're starting to realize exactly who he is and what he did and that he keeps the promises. He said, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. This is huge. They are now understanding the gravity of he beat death. Everything that was written in the Old Testament had finally been fulfilled. Paul reflects later on this, about a couple dozen years later, in some amazing summaries of the resurrection. In 2 Corinthians 1, he says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. And that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. I love that. In all of his promises in God, we find their yes in him. Not a no not a you're worthless, not a get lost. In his promises, we find a yes in Christ. Some of my favorite promises in scripture, and there are a lot of promises in scripture, so many so that if I, if I tried to go through all of them, you'd probably say it's Easter, we got food at home, we got family here, we're booing you off the stage now, it's time to go. But there are a lot of promises in Easter. Here are some of my favorites. There is redemption from sin. Sin doesn't get to hold you down. You get to shed the weight of sin because he took it from you. That is a promise. There is redemption from sin. There is reconciliation with the father. Last week, we talked about the prodigal son and how he got to run. He was walking to his dad and his dad ran to him. There was reconciliation in a relationship. Through Jesus, we have reconciliation with the father. That's a promise. There is peace and rest. I know a lot of us right now, man, sometimes life is just kicking you hard and you just need peace. You just need rest. You just need to say, hey, I need to take a breath. A time where COVID maybe forced you to rest turned into more of an enduring race than you thought. And it's just the life just started hitting you and you're like, I just need some peace. I just need rest. You know what? God promises you peace and rest. Maybe you need healing and wholeness. Some, you know, some people, maybe it's a, a physical healing, an emotional healing. There's an illness you're coming through. God promises that he can heal. He can make you whole. He is the only one when you say, there's a hole in my life that I, I can't, I, I put this from the world in that hole and it's still there. I put this from the world in the hole and it's still, it's still getting bigger. God says, I'll give you wholeness. I will fill it. That's a promise. He gives us an eternal home. He showed us the way where we get to spend eternity with him. And that's an incredible promise. No more tears, no more pain, no more sickness. When we're reunited with Jesus, it's going to be perfect. That's a promise. Constant presence. That one, I love the fact that there's constant presence. To know that when you feel like maybe you've hit that point where your life is a pile of ashes, where you've hit that point where you think, you know what, man, I've gone through this and I just can't seem to rise myself up and I feel so isolated, I feel so alone. I was talking to a friend recently who, who said in his life, there's a lot of transitionings happening right now and he said, I just feel so alone. I feel so isolated. And, and we got to talk about the fact that I, he is a believer and he does believe in Christ and we got to circle it back to that and was like, you know what? No matter how alone you may feel, Jesus says, man, when, when I'm in your heart, when, when you're with me, you're never alone. I'm always there. I'm there through 
all the good, through all the bad. I'm the one who says, if you're going forward, I get to march with you. If you're falling down, I get to pick you up. If you need to step back, I'm right here waiting for you. I'm not only waiting for you, I'm also with the victory, the goal line waiting for you there too. He's everywhere. He's all encompassing in your walk with him. And I love that because you will never be alone through the trials, through the good, through the bad. He is the constant presence. He promises friendship. And not just any friendship. I mean, this is like your best friend. Right? We, we all have someone we can pinpoint and say, this is, this is my best friend. They know everything. Man, Jesus makes that best friend look so pathetic when it comes to his friendship. It, it's true, because the, the friendship he offers you is one that never leaves, never goes away. I actually got to talk. I was putting my uh, daughter, Avery, to bed last night, and I'm talking to her. And we were talking, we're praying about Easter and everything, and she'll, she'll be five years old on May 1st. And I said, I said hey, Avery, do you, know, do you know who loves you more than anything? And she said, Mommy and Dad. I said, I said, yeah, there are moments where we don't, but, but you know, I did say that. But I said, but do you know who loves you even more than mommy and dad? And without missing a beat, she said, Jesus. I said, yeah. Do you know who Jesus is? She said, the son of God. I said, yeah. And do you know that he's going to be your friend forever? And that's where a moment I, I saw the, the light bulb kind of go off in her head. She goes, forever? I said, you know what, Avery? And it kind of got to bring it home with her a little bit because we just moved from California. I said, you know, you have her uh, boyfriend in preschool in California, Travis. She says to this day she's going to marry Travis. But I told her, I said, hey, you know, even though you don't see Travis anymore, you can see Jesus every day. Jesus is that friend who no matter where you move in life, he's always going to be with you. And she had this big old smile on her face. And I loved that it was, it was starting just her little four-year-old mind. It was resonating with her. She has a friend in Jesus who will never, ever leave her side. Then I asked her, where, said, where does Jesus live? And she just pointed to her heart. She was right here. I said, that's right. He's always with you. Jesus is the friend that will never, ever leave you. No matter where life takes you, he is always there. That's a promise. And this last one is so big. He promises life from death. There, there are so many, so many things on this list. There's so many more promises in scripture that are on this list. But this last one is so big. He promises life from death. Jesus promises life from death. That's, even though we say it, and we've said, you know, some of you may have said it for years, do you understand how, un, how just the paradox that that is? He promises life from death. When, when something dies, something normally doesn't live from that, right? It's, it's dead. It is deceased. It's gone. But his death promises life. And not just breathing, not just skimping by, not just, okay, well, I'm limping along. But no, Jesus says, hey, I promise you in, in my plan, I have an abundant, thriving life for you. May not be what you think abundant and thriving is, but what I have for you is abundant. It's thriving. It's fulfilled. It's full because I am a part of it. And he's got something so great for everybody. Even through your darkest night, through your pain, through your brokenness and through your sin, Jesus has that plan and he promises life. Through your striving, through your planning, maybe some of you really like to control things. Jesus says, hey, let it go because I got, I got you. I can give you life. Christ sees it all. He uses it all, and he redeems it all. I think to, to illustrate this, I was, I was thinking, what's, what better story to talk about of, of someone who literally was in a pile of ashes than Job? Now, if, if you don't know the book of Job, it's found in the Old Testament. And the summary real quick on Job, he was a wealthy man, he was a righteous man, he was a God-fearing man. Had everything going for him, and, and was a good man, but through a series of horrible events, 
he loses everything. And I mean, he loses everything. His kids are killed. His buildings collapse. His livestock and his food is all ravaged and stolen from. And only a handful of servants survive to come and tell him all the horrible things that are happening. He loses it all. In his brokenness, he gets some friends that come up to him and they give him such the greatest advice. Your fault, Job. You're in trouble. And no one wants to hear that when they're down, right? Say, like, oh man, what did you do? You loser. <laughs> but, but they start giving him some really bad advice. They start telling him, you must have something to confess. You must have done something so bad that God has ticked at you and this is what you get. And so they start telling him, confess, confess. And Job is like, I don't know what to confess. I, I really don't know. And he has this moment where, where his friends are telling him to confess and he's saying, I don't know what I need to confess. And he starts crying out. He never turns against God, but he does ask why. I think we've all been there before when something happens, right? You say, God, why? Why is this happening? And Job is at that moment where he's lost everything and he's saying, why? And he actually demands a hearing with God. He says, you know what, God? If we were in court right now and a jury came and they heard you and they heard me, the jury would side with me and say, this is garbage. <laughs> this should not be happening. And that's when God shows up. And God's, he gets to come down and say, hey, I get to speak to you. And he shows up and talks to Job face to face and it's beautiful and awe-inspiring and terrifying and amazing all at the same time. Job chapter 40, verses four through five. This is what Job says about halfway through their conversation. He says, behold, I am insignificant. How can I, repay, how can I reply to you? I place my hand over my mouth. I have spoken once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I have nothing to add. And then what Job says is absolutely breathtaking. He says this, <clears throat> starting in 42, or chapter 42, starting in verse 2. He says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job had thought he had knew and learned everything he needed to know about God. Through his pain and through his suffering, he had made assumptions, even, even accusations, like this is your fault. Why would you do this to me, right? But what he thought of God changed as soon as he got to talk to God face to face. When he had that road to Emmaus encounter, when it was like, now there's God right here and we get to talk Everything changed. His eyes were opened to the majesty and providence that God offers and that God provides. And I love the line he says here in the last verse, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Man, here's a guy who literally was in dust and ashes. He lost it all. But what Job is communicating here is this. He's saying, I was wrong and now I see. I'm gonna take comfort here in the rubble. I'm gonna take comfort in this pile of ashes that was my life because I know more than anything, God, you're here. You are a part of it. You are with me. You haven't left me. And he gets this amazing moment where he realizes just how incredible God is. And then the story of Job ends in an amazing way. You see, encountering the living God is the only way to raise from ashes. It's the only way to experience forgiveness, grace, love, and an eternity with him. And what Job does is when he encounters God, God, he sees God restore everything he had. And not just everything he had, he gets more. 
that God totally blesses him and says, this is you, you were here with me and I'm gonna show you what I have for you. And it was more than Job ever thought he was ever gonna have. God literally raised him from the ashes, ashes, gave him an abundant life, raised him from destruction and made him thrive. And I think for each and every one of us here, when we have that moment where we maybe feel like we are that pile of ashes, where our life is broken, or maybe you're not quite the ashes, but you feel like you're headed down that road. Things are just bad. You can say, you know what? I can even rejoice in this. Not rejoice that it's happening. I mean, no, no one's like, yay, my life is falling apart. But you can rejoice that even in those moments, God is with you. And I know that when we have that encounter with him, he can say, I'm gonna set your heart ablaze and we're going here. And it's an amazing thing, the ability that only he has to take you from a place where you don't wanna be to the place where he wants you to be. I'd like to invite the worship team back up this morning as we get ready to close out our Easter celebration. And we've, we've just barely cracked open the door on Jesus and our Savior and who he is. We've, we talked about temptation and humility and sacrifice, prayer and resurrection. And you could spend a lifetime, seriously, a lifetime reading about Jesus and learning new things. You'll always find new things. And there's always stuff that will blow you away that he says and that he does. You will never grow tired of it. He is the source. He is the promise. He says he is the way, the truth, and the life. Not the way, the truth, and the death. He beat death. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Would you all stand with me? I'd like to just extend this offer. If there's anybody here that has, has never said, you know what, I'm ready to run out of that grave. I, I'm ready to say, Jesus, I give my life to you. I know that you are the son of God. You came and you paid that price for me, but you took what that symbol over there is. You took that symbol of ultimate humility and crushing defeat and you turned that into the ultimate greatest victory cry in history. And I want that. If you've never done that, I want to invite you today uh, to come talk to me. Talk to a family member maybe who has had that. Talk to someone you know who maybe has made this decision and, and spend some time and pray to God. He's already there waiting for you. Maybe you're, you're like those disciples on that road out and Jesus is like, I'm right here. Let's go. Let's turn around and go back because he ran out of that grave. We get to run out of that grave because God is real. He is alive and he loves you. Amen. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that we get to celebrate, God, your resurrection. You rose from the dead. You beat death. And because of that, our sins are gone. You paid it all, and we get to spend an eternity with you. God, so I pray that today, anyone here who maybe has that nudge that has never really just said, God, I'm all in, God, I pray that they go all in, that they turn to you and they realize that you are the one that fills life, you fulfill life, and you give life. So God, because of you, we celebrate. We thank you, we love you, and everybody said... Amen.